My favorite way to unwind and dive into something more fun is June's Journey. The game lets me channel my inner detective and unlock compelling stories, strong female characters, and a mystery I want to solve. If you like true crime podcasts, it's the perfect game to play along while you listen. The Hidden Object Mystery Game will put your detective skills to the test in the roaring 1920s. You play as June Parker as she tries to solve her sister's murder and along the way uncovers family secrets. Chat and play with or against other players by joining a detective club. Mystery, danger, romance all await you if you download the game now. I'm on chapter four and wondering how these clues will help me crack the case of who did it and why. June needs your help, detective. Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. If you love Snapped, Women Who Murder, you're going to love listening to true crime or mystery titles on Audible. The audio title I'm diving into again is one of my favorites to revisit, Mindhunter by John Douglas and Mark Ulshaker. Even if you think you know the details of the cases, former FBI unit chief John Douglas took on from documentaries or the scripted show, the audio title goes above and beyond in bringing you along with him in his career, trying to catch serial killers and serial perpetrators. He used psychological profiling to dive into the minds of notorious criminals. The title includes his hunt for a killer in Alaska, the Green River Killer, and so much more. As an Audible member, you can choose one title a month to keep from their entire catalog. It is the home of storytelling after all. New members can try Audible free for 30 days. Visit audible.com slash snapped or text snapped to 500-500. That's audible.com slash snapped or text snapped to 500-500. Hi, staff listeners. We are bringing you a special bonus episode today from Oxygen's hit series, Buried in the Backyard. You can watch full episodes on demand on the free Oxygen app or on Peacock by clicking the link in our description. Enjoy. A successful tech entrepreneur vanishes from a popular Florida beach town. You looking at me? (laughs) It was extremely unlikely that he would just leave town without an explanation. Everybody's looking for him and this is weird. Police discover his search for a new life may have taken him down a dark path. He just kind of fell into our gutter punk circle of friends pretty easily. Donald was living the Florida lifestyle. He didn't have a job, but he had a fat bank account. And he would hang out with his kids. And somebody was siphoning off money, over $20,000. Who are these kids? What is the connection? At his house, there was an alarming amount of blood. And an investigation leads detectives to a horrifying discovery. There was a freezer that was used as a coffin. Now we've gone to a homicide investigation. Melbourne, Florida is a surfer's paradise, a funky beach town with an active arts community that's shared by college students and cutting edge tech entrepreneurs. It's at the center of Florida's Space Coast. Brevard County is a mix of towns. You have the tourist uh, area of Cocoa Beach, you have the Kennedy Space Center, and then you have Melbourne, which is right off of the Indian River. I moved to Melbourne because it was low-key, but it is a small town, a wonderful place to raise my family, 
uh, to have my kids and feel safe. Uh, you know, you hear all these bad stories about Chicago and New York City. We don't have any of that here. But on this October afternoon, that reassuring sense of tranquility is shaken when authorities descend on the backyard of a property in the town of Canaveral Groves, just outside of Melbourne. Canaveral Groves was a pretty rural community, pretty quiet. It's a place where you would find endless orange groves. The police are following a lead in the search for a missing man. We made a request to the sheriff's office to provide their helicopter for a flyover of the scene. They spotted one very small area. Their equipment had picked up just a, a real minor um, variation in temperature of dirt right there. 232, we just got a 401 North We discovered within about eight inches of the surface a corner of something that was consistent with that chest freezer. Once we had broke the soil area around the lid of the freezer, there was a distinct odor of decomposition. It's a smell that you never forget. In order to preserve the integrity of anything in that freezer, what we want to do is transport that freezer to the medical examiner's office. Fire department got involved because they were able to use the jaws of life and other tools to cut away the meat freezer, exposing the skeletal remains of a human being. The victim was badly decomposed. The body was encased in sleeping bags and bound with telephone cord at the legs. The hands were handcuffed behind the back. The body was positioned kind of on their side into the meat freezer so it would fit. And now we need to determine who buried the body in the backyard. In Melbourne, you take people as they are. You're not like, oh, you don't dress right, so you can't hang out with us. In the late 1990s, Melbourne, Florida is home to a scrappy crew of skateboarders. For kids our age, you were usually preppy, a surfer, or a skater. Preppy kids hung out at the mall, surfers hung out on the beach, and skaters sat on the gutter and watched each other pull skate tracks. When they aren't skating, the tight-knit group of friends is often found hanging out at their favorite coffee joint, the Sun Shop Cafe. That's where everybody went. If you were bored, you went to the Sun Shop just to see what was going on. And I was working there. We spent all day at the coffee shop. And one day, Donald showed up. Donald was a little older than us. 
They had cargo pants with a hip pack. He would come in and he would make little like quips and, and jokes about things and we just thought he was hilarious. 42-year-old businessman Donald O'Sullivan strikes up a friendship with the crew of young skateboarders. Everyone called him D, no one called him Donald. He was super nice and he just kind of fell into our gutter punk circle of friends pretty easily. A successful tech entrepreneur, Donald spends his days scoping out potential business ventures with his brother Dennis. D had made some money and sort of retired early by building some computer company. In the mid-1990s, he developed NetCentric Corp, a software company that would actually work with innovating faxes for business. While Donald's professional life has been a success, he's had his share of personal hardship, including bouts of depression. When I first met Dee, he was struggling uh, with some depression. He was struggling with anxiety. Donald was dealing with a number of issues. The company that he had co-founded was bought out. And then all of a sudden, it's gone. Donald was from Atlanta, Georgia. He wanted to just get out. He decided to come down to Florida to restart his life. We're dirty skater kids, but he really was fun. And I think it was like, hey, these kids keep me young or keeping my mind off of whatever turmoil he was dealing with. So at Shacktown, which was the skater house that we lived in, Donald just loved coming over and hanging out there. Hey, Bono. Bono. I would see Donald at least three to four times a week between Sunshop and Shacktown. In late September 1998, the kids in the skateboard crew notice that their friend Dee hasn't been around lately. That's when we started to question, well, when's the last time you saw Dee? Well, when's the last time you saw Dee? And everybody realized they hadn't seen him. His brother Dennis grows worried when Donald's phone goes unanswered for weeks and his home appears deserted. Concerned that Donald may be suffering another bout of depression and could be in crisis, Dennis contacts the police. You're dealing with an adult man. He had a manic depressive diagnosis at some point and he would go black from time to time, go off the radar. He had the money to do just that. If we have extenuating circumstances like depression or any kind of mental health issues, we check with the local mental health facilities in Melbourne. But if nobody's heard from him for several weeks, we're going to start checking bank records. And officers' concerns grow when they discover substantial unexpected withdrawals from Donald's account. Donald's bank records indicate some suspicious activity. Somebody was siphoning off money over $20,000.
Wondering if the unusual withdrawal could be connected to Donald's manic depression, detectives head to the bank to get more information. And what they learn is troubling. The bank employee said that a younger male had been attempting several times to cash checks on Donald O'Sullivan's account. That's something to be very alarmed about. The representative says, we've had someone coming in and saying he's the son of Donald. We weren't comfortable around police. Our interactions with police officers were us getting in trouble. It's been days since anyone has heard from Florida businessman Donald O'Sullivan. His bank reports someone has been trying to access his account, and it's not Donald. If you have a missing person and you have continued either activity or attempted activity on your accounts, that's something to be very alarmed about. The information we got from the bank was that a younger male had been attempting several times to cash checks on Donald Sullivan's account. The representative says, look, we've had someone coming in and saying that he is, his name is Michael O'Sullivan. He's the son of Donald. He explained that the signature on the account does not match Donald's signatures. Then police go back to the family and they find out there is no Michael O'Sullivan. There is no son. So whoever's identifying themselves as Doonal's son is lying about their identity, which worried us. Do we have a criminal event involved in this missing person event? Concern grows when the missing man's brother, Dennis, informs police he's received a disturbing call. The phone call came from a little P.O. box shop uh, that dealt with mail. Someone was picking up Donald's mail. But it wasn't Donald. The owner of the business had almost daily contacts with Donald, and she was very suspicious of a young man who came in and explained that Donald was out of town and that he would be picking up Doonal's mail. The information raises detectives' eyebrows. Who is the young man? And could he be the same person attempting withdrawals from Donald's bank account? When Dennis tells the investigators that his brother Donald has been hanging out with a crew of young skateboarders, they can't ignore the possible connection. Donald was living the Florida lifestyle. He didn't have a job, but he had a fat bank account. And he would hang out with his kids. He's in his early 40s, and they're uh, in their 20s. Who are these kids? What is the connection? Is it drugs? Uh, is it uh, something more nefarious? There's a possibility that somebody who presented themselves as Doonal's close friend could actually be involved. Police head to the Sun Shop Cafe to question these unlikely friends. We weren't comfortable around police. 
Our interactions with police officers were us getting in trouble for skating. But I was concerned that because we were skater kids, they were going to ignore all of us and just not pay attention to anything that we had to say. The skaters insist none of them have access to Donald's bank account or his mail. They informed us that it was extremely unlikely to them that he would just leave town without an explanation. They were worried about his whereabouts. He was the nicest, most relatable adult that I felt like I knew. He was a grown-up that didn't tell you you're not doing what you're supposed to, study harder, where's your ambition? He wanted to help you get there. And I was nervous Dee's missing and we can't find Dee. You're really starting to worry something was wrong. The detectives can find no apparent connection between the skateboard crew and Donald's disappearance. They learn that Donald owns a house on Lincoln Avenue in Melbourne so they head there to see if it contains any clues that might lead to him. During our initial scan of the exterior, we found a trash can which had a quickcrete bag in the garbage. Quickcrete is a material to make concrete. We noticed there was a number of scratches on the porch itself. Then there were a number of gouge marks on the door. Those were all fresh. It, it, it looked like somebody was moving large pieces of furniture or something very heavy. We entered the porch and we observed what looked like wheel impressions on the linoleum floor, consistent with a dolly going up and coming down the stairs. The damage to the steps and door jam are puzzling. Investigators make their way upstairs to the second floor to check things out. As we got up to the second floor, there was a bedroom. And inside of that bedroom, there was a single mattress. Underneath the mattress and on the carpet, there was what appeared to be an alarming amount of blood. Donald O'Sullivan has been missing for more than two weeks when police make a gruesome discovery at a house he owns in Melbourne, Florida. One bedroom contained a mattress on the floor. As we got closed, we could see the footwear impressions in blood. And then we observed blood on the mattress, the pooling stain. We knew we have a crime scene. There's no doubt that, that now We've gone from a missing person case into a homicide investigation. The property is locked down, and a forensic team processes the home. When we did our initial observation downstairs, 
We found what we believe to be a couple baskets from a meat freezer. We looked around the residence. There was no meat freezer. That was kind of strange. Then, flipping through papers found in the home, investigators make another intriguing discovery. There was a, a receipt from a local appliance store for a freezer. And the receipt was under the name of an Eric Marshall. The detectives wonder, could Eric Marshall be the same man trying to access Donald O'Sullivan's bank account and picking up his mail? If so, he could be the link to finding out what happened to Donald. The obvious next step is to go to the appliance store. When we discussed the transaction with the appliance store employees, everyone knew the name of Eric Marshall. When the item was, was ready, the loading bay manager got on the PA and announced that an item was ready for pickup for Eric Marshall. He didn't answer it. So he got on the PA again. Again, there was no response. So he got on a PA for a third time, and he just announced, hey, who ordered the body freezer? At that time, Eric Marshall stood up, walked directly over to the loading bay manager, and was very upset and asked him, why would you say something like that? Then Marshall got the freezer loaded in his truck and, and left. But everybody remembered that event. But who is Eric Marshall? A search of state records can find no such man. We immediately contacted all of Doonal's friends. And what we discovered is nobody had ever heard of an Eric Marshall. As the detectives continue to search for information about the mystery man, there's a break in another part of their investigation, a lead to the identity of the young man trying to make withdrawals from Donald O'Sullivan's bank account. We were approached by a female who was in the bank who stated that she recognized the person that attempted to cash checks on Doonal O'Sullivan's account. And that person was Daniel Tennedy. It's a familiar name to the detectives. 26-year-old Daniel is one of the kids that Donald has been hanging out with at the coffee shop. In fact, he's a close enough friend that Donald has been paying the rent for him and his roommate, Dave Fiddler. Dave Fiddler and Dan Tennedy were in our crew. They were living in a house next to Shacktown that was just atrocious. And they were looking at different properties. They had this one house on Pine Street that they liked, but they couldn't pass the credit check. So Donald was like, well, let me just rent this house and put the stuff on my name so you guys have a place to stay. But the information from the witness at the bank tells detectives there may be more to Daniel Tennedy than they know. When we inquired as to how she knew him, she stated, oh, I rented a piece of property to Daniel Tennedy, and he stole my checks. 
So at that point, we began looking for Daniel Tennant. Police head to the house Donald is renting for the skateboarders. Dave Fiddler answered the door, and he explained to us that Daniel Tennant had just gotten out of prison in the state of New York and didn't know his whereabouts at that time. The background information definitely raises eyebrows. Detectives head back to the station to run a check on Daniel. They learn his presence in Florida is a parole violation from a previous burglary conviction. It doesn't make him a murderer, but it is reason to arrest him. We returned to the property. When Dave answered the door, we asked where Daniel Tennant was. David Fiddler very clearly stated he had no idea where Daniel Tennant was. But as the detectives turned to leave, they noticed Dave acting very strangely. He even said, you can come in and look for him if you want. But while he was talking to the officers, he kept pointing to the back of the room. You can store a body in a freezer indefinitely. When he came back to the house, he discovered that he was decomposing. I realized something wasn't right. Red flags were everywhere. As a SNAP listener, you know the world can be a dangerous and unpredictable place. With every case I learn about, I'm reminded how much I want to prioritize my vigilance and preparation. That's why I use and recommend Simply Safe Home Security. My cameras have alerted me about trespassers and even given me a sense of security knowing my home is safe even when I'm not there. Simply Safe offers protection for the whole house with advanced sensors that not only detect break-ins, but fires, floods, and other threats to your home and getting you the help you need for each scenario. The indoor security cameras offer privacy shutters to ensure physical privacy when you want it. Plus, you can try Simply Safe for 60 days risk-free. If you don't love it, return your system for a full refund. Simply Safe has given me and many of my listeners real peace of mind. I want you to have it too. Get 20% off any new Simply Safe system when you sign up for Fast Protect monitoring. Just visit simplysafe.com/snapped. That's simplysafe.com/snapped. There's no safe like Simply Safe. Do you ever wonder where all your money went? Like every single time you look at your bank account? Honestly, it's probably all those subscriptions. I felt that way too until I got Rocket Money. Rocket Money helped me see all the subscriptions I'm paying for, and it was eye-opening. Between streaming services, fitness apps, delivery services, it all adds up so quickly. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has helped save its members an average of $720 a year with over 500 million in canceled subscriptions. Stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com/wondery. That's rocketmoney.com/wondery. rocketmoney.com/wondery. Police in Florida, hoping to question Daniel Tennant about the disappearance of Donald O'Sullivan, have been told he's not home. 
but they notice that his roommate is behaving oddly. When Dave Fiddler answered the door, he stated that he had no idea where Daniel Tennedy was. While he was talking to the officers, he kept pointing to the rear of the residence and said, see, he's not in there, and then pointed to the bathroom. When the officers opened the door in the bathroom, Daniel Tennedy was hiding in the shower and screamed, don't shoot me. They informed Daniel Tennant that he had a warrant on him for his arrest for a parole violation and took him into custody. His excuse for hiding in the shower was that he didn't want to go back to prison on a parole violation. The arrest sends shockwaves through the Melbourne skateboarder crew, who never suspected Daniel Tennedy of being a hardened criminal. We knew Dan had been in some trouble and that he was kind of coming to Florida to start over. I didn't know that he had been in jail. Well, I met Dan in Rochester, New York. He's like a big brother to me when we grew up. When they were teenagers, Dirk's family moved to Florida. Back in New York, Daniel's life took a dark turn when he went to prison for a burglary conviction. After being released, hoping to start over, he looked up his old friend in Florida. One day, he just shows up. I I'm just blown away, like, what are you doing here? Out of prison, parole's done, he's flying clear, cleaning up his game. He was looking for jobs. He was working hard, or so we thought. But now Daniel is back in jail, and police want answers, and not just about Donald's bank account. They want to know if he can tell them anything about what happened to Donald, and if he knows Eric Marshall, the man named on a receipt found at Donald's house. We still need to make sure exactly who was involved in the case, and Eric Marshall was still an unknown to us. We thought that perhaps Eric Marshall is a, an acquaintance of Daniel Tennedy, but he had no idea who that individual was. As far as his actions at the bank, Daniel claims there was nothing inappropriate about it. He very matter-of-factly informed us that he was doing work for Duno Sullivan. That's how he was paid, with checks, and he was trying to cash the checks. Money your account. What kind of stuff did you do for him? No, I just like pick, pick up his mail Detectives find Daniel's answers to be plausible, but after the interview, they get a call that turns that assessment on its head. We received a phone call from Dirk Schmidt that Daniel had contacted him from the county jail. Dan asked me to grab his Bible, his rosary beads, and send it to his mom back in Rochester. And when I opened the Bible, that's when I realized inside the Bible, 
was Donald's credit cards, Donald's license, some money in there, and blank checks. And that was where I realized something wasn't right. Believing Daniel could be hiding even more secrets, Dirk and Daniel's roommate Dave Fiddler begin searching the house. In an unused cabinet, they uncover something strange. There was an oatmeal cardboard cylinder, and it had a land deed in it for this property that was up in, in North Brevard County. I saw Dan's name. Red flags were everywhere. After hearing from Dirk, police pulled Daniel Tenney out of his jail cell for another round of questions. Once again, he has an explanation for everything. He claims that he was holding the property deed for Donald, who purchased the land for a business venture. And so this deed was to a place that's vacant. It's, it's, it's rural. There is nothing there. So it makes you wonder, why would he purchase land in Canaveral Groves? But it's something else about the deed that really gets the investigators' attention. The deed had David Fiddler's name on it. Then his name was crossed out, and there was a name to transfer the property to a Daniel Trinity. The detectives note that the name Trinity is suspiciously close to Daniel's last name, Tenity. Now they want to know why his roommate Dave Fiddler's name is also on the document. Is he hiding something from them? Like, why was this deed here? It just didn't even make sense. Florida detectives believe Daniel Tenney may be involved in the disappearance of Donald O'Sullivan. They're examining a property deed connected to Donald that bears what could be Daniel's name. But they want to know why it also includes the name of Daniel's roommate, Dave Fiddler. Police investigate this deed, and they find out that the money used to purchase the property actually came from Donald. 2000 in cash, 4000 written out in checks, all from Donald's account. David Fiddler was a little upset. He informed us that he in no way, shape, or form had any kind of involvement in that transaction whatsoever. Dave tells police Daniel put his name on the deed without asking to avoid any issues that might arise from a background check. But Dave told him to take his name off. He was very cooperative and it was obvious he was very concerned. He gave us no reason to suspect that he was being untruthful with us. As days pass, the dread felt by Donald's family and friends only increases. Dee was still missing and everybody's looking for him. This is weird. You know, what happened? Detectives continue to pore over Donald's financial statements, 
and they discover even more suspicious activity. We were able to pull up some financial transactions. One of them was the rental of a backhoe. It was rented with a check from Doolittle Sullivan. And the address to deliver the backhoe matched the location on the deed. Police rush to the remote area listed on the deed. They walk the property from end to end. We wanted to see if they could spot anything that was unusual or disturbing. And they were like, we don't see anything. So Melbourne police arranged for a helicopter to go out and survey the land. And they said, there's one very small area in the sand. You might want to take a look at that. On a sunny October afternoon in the quiet suburb of Canaveral Groves, police assemble to conduct a forensic excavation in the backyard of a property they've connected to Donald O'Sullivan. We discovered within about eight inches of the surface, a corner of something. And our crime scene people basically do an excavation of a 10 by 10 area. And within just a few minutes, they discovered the freezer. Once we dug deep enough, we saw the serial number, and we were able to match up the serial number to the freezer to the serial number that was bought at the appliance store. And it matched the receipt we found in the house. The freezer is carefully removed from the ground and transported to the medical examiner's office for processing. When the door was taken off of the freezer, a layer of cement was discovered. When that layer of cement was very carefully chipped away, we discovered human remains. that freezer was merely used as a coffin. We were able to use dental records to be able to positively identify our victim, Donald O'Sullivan. For the skater crew, the news of Donald's murder is devastating. I remember a police officer just coming up to me and being like, and we found the body. It was the worst day ever. When Dee died, it was like, not just did someone die, but an important person was really lost here. It was huge, it was horrible.
Though investigators have a direct connection between Daniel Tenedy and the property where they unearthed the freezer, they still are unable to locate the mysterious Eric Marshall, who signed for the appliance. We still had no idea who this Eric Marshall person was. We gotta make sure that we're not dealing with two people. We sent some investigators back to the appliance store where the freezer was bought. They had a photo lineup. In that lineup was a, was a mug photo of Daniel Tenney. Without any hesitation, all our witnesses identified Eric Marshall as being Daniel Tenney. They were the same person. Daniel Tenney is charged with the murder of Donald O'Sullivan. But short of a confession, prosecutors fear they will not be able to prove he actually committed the murder. Daniel isn't talking, but luckily for investigators, his fellow inmates are. This was big news in Brevard County, and even it reached the Brevard County Jail where Dan was uh, being housed. Dan told some of the inmates that story that you're seeing on the TV, I'm the one who killed him. I'm the one who buried him in the backyard. We needed to determine if this was reliable information. So Daniel Tenney to be indicted in the state of Florida for the murder of Donald Sullivan. Authorities charge Daniel Tenney with the murder of Donald O'Sullivan. He insists he's innocent. But behind bars, he tells another story to his fellow inmates at the Brevard County Jail in Florida. Daniel Tenney is in jail, and he starts running his mouth. He starts talking about this case. Three different jail informants told police the exact same story. They confirmed that Daniel Tenney made a number of admissions and explained exactly how the murder happened. The information that he had was not public knowledge. Dan had been forging checks uh, from Donald's account. And at one point, Donald found out. When Donald confronted Daniel about that. Then a scuffle ensued, and Daniel killed Doom. Although police discovered a large pool of blood on a mattress in Donald's house, the autopsy report indicates the fight ended with Daniel strangling Donald. They were able to determine that damage to the lower neck and the hyoid bone was present. After killing Donald, investigators surmise that Daniel Tenney left the scene to figure out a plan for covering up his crime, leaving Donald's dead body on the mattress. The stains on the mattress are determined to be from the body beginning to decay. Daniel tried to get what he could get as far as checks and credit cards and things. 
Then Daniel decided he would buy the chest freezer. He brought it to the location and loaded Doonal's body in the freezer. He left the freezer in the house for several days. And when he came back to the house, he discovered that Doonal was decomposing. We always wondered why he just did not plug the meat freezer in. I mean, the common person would just plug it in, use the meat freezer. You can store a body in there indefinitely. Daniel then brought the freezer back downstairs. Couldn't control the freezer. It tumbled down the stairs, causing all the damage. He needed to get rid of the freezer. That's when he devised the plan of obtaining the property up in Canaveral Groves and renting the backhoe. and dispose of the body up there. As it turned out, Daniel had spent over $29,000 of, of Doonal's money, mainly just trying to dispose of the body. It, it was just uh, basically a, a comedy of errors for anybody how to not commit a crime. When confronted with the overwhelming evidence against him, Daniel Tennedy decides he has no options left. Look, the man is going to turn after his mask and I just... After it happened, I panicked, and I was afraid, and I just... Daniel Kennedy pled guilty and was sentenced to a 40-year prison term for the murder of Dunal O'Sullivan. For Donald's band of young skateboarding pals, Daniel's admission of murder is difficult to comprehend. You never think somebody's gonna kill somebody else in your crew, ever. For me personally, it was horrible because I was a person that introduced these two people together. And that will haunt me to the day I die. Donald was a good soul, and uh, his removal from this world in such a wicked way uh, was a shame because the world uh, was a better place for Dee being in it. I don't know what better legacy there could be than have people who knew you just say, you're the best kind of person. I think that's what he would have wanted. Audible is the destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Allow your imagination to be piqued 
by stories that are brought to life through captivating sound design, eerie soundscapes, and dynamic performances. As an Audible member, you'll be able to keep your heart rate up month after month because you can choose one title a month to keep from the entire catalog, including the latest bestsellers and new releases. If you're in the mood for a shocking psychological thriller, check out None of This is True by Lisa Jewell. Embrace brand new exclusive thrillers from bestselling authors who are guaranteed to keep you gripped. New members can try Audible free for 30 days. Visit audible.com slash thrill or text thrill to 500-500. That's audible.com slash thrill or text thrill to 500-500.